So this morning, we're starting a six-week series on how to live by faith. And first session this morning, we're going to be talking about what is faith. We want to be working on understanding what faith is. When the Bible uses the word faith, what does it mean? What's involved in living by faith? Crucial question for each of us, because the Bible is very clear that the one way that we receive all that God has for us is faith. Everything that God wants to give to us as blood-bought men and women, boys and girls, trusting Jesus, everything that God wants to give us comes through faith. That's what God's word says. So for example, Acts 16, 13 says that forgiveness of sins and salvation comes through faith. Romans 15, 13 says that joy and peace comes to us through faith. Galatians 5, 6 says that love for other people is given to us through faith. Ephesians 6, 16 says that power to fight against sin and overcome sin comes to us through faith. And John 7, 37 and 38, Jesus taught that his living water, the living water of, that Jesus gives us by the Spirit comes to us through faith. So everything that God wants to give to us, all that we need from God comes to us through faith, which is why it is so crucial that we understand what faith is. So what is it? Well, one passage that has helped me understand what faith is, is found in Romans chapter 4. And in this chapter, Paul says that we need to have, we New Testament believers, need to have the same kind of faith that our father Abraham had. We can see that in verse 12. We'll put the verse up here on the screen. Paul says that to be saved from our sins and to receive the joy of knowing God, we must walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. We must walk in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had. So Abraham walked in faith. His footsteps were the footsteps of faith. And we need to be walking in those same footsteps. Like, did you ever play the game with your kids or friends where somebody's at the beach and, and they're walking in front of you and you, you try to walk after them and put your feet right where their feet were in the sand? We're, we're saying, here's Abraham's step here and then here and then here. That's what Paul wants us to be doing. Walking in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. So what do those footsteps look like? What's involved with those footsteps? Paul tells us in Romans 4, verses 18 through 22. Now, before we look at those verses, let me give you some context and background for this passage. In Genesis 1 and 2, the very first book of the Bible, the first chapters in the book of the Bible, God creates the heavens and this beautiful earth. And he made the Garden of Eden and he created Adam and Eve and placed them there. Amazing. Read Genesis 1 and 2. But then tragically in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And from Genesis 4 through Genesis 11, we see sin spreading throughout the earth and God's curse of judgment against sin moving so that by the time we get to chapter 11, the whole world is under God's curse, God's judgment for sin. Tragic development after the wonderful start with Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But then in chapter 12 of Genesis, God does something amazing. He calls Abraham. And he says, Abraham, turn from your idols. Trust me. 
I'm going to take you to a land that you don't know about. Trust me to take you there. If you trust me, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And of course, that nation that God had in mind was the nation of Israel, through whom the Messiah, Jesus, would be born, who would free men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe from the curse of God's judgment and bring them into the blessing of knowing God. That's what God did in Genesis chapter 12. So God had promised Abraham a child. You're going to, be, I'm going to make you into a great nation, which means you're going to have children, descendants. But now there's a problem. After Abraham and Sarah got married, it soon became apparent that, that they were not able to have children. Year after year went by and they didn't get pregnant. And then in Genesis 12, which is years after they got married, it must have been shocking for Abraham to hear, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you children, Abraham. But Abraham believed God, but then more years went by, and they still didn't get pregnant. More years, more years, more years, until Abraham was 100 years old. And Sarah obviously well past childbearing years, and they still had not gotten pregnant. So, what did Abraham do? Did he still have faith in God and his promise? Was he still walking those footsteps of faith, or was he walking some other footsteps? Did he continue to trust God? The answer is in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. This is amazing. Verse 18, in hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told by God, so shall your offspring be. Now that, that first phrase, in hope, he believed against hope. That's a little hard to understand. I think what this means is that Abraham continued believing God's promise. His hope was in God. He, he was not trying to find his hope in human abilities or resources. He's against those hopes. Those aren't going to help, for help him. But he's 100 years old. He's hoping in God. He's trusting in God's promise. And then verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Abraham continued to have faith in God. He continued to trust God's promise. And what ended up happening? God fulfilled his promise. Abraham and Sarah had a baby boy named Isaac. You know the story. And through Isaac was born the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel was born Jesus, the Messiah, who saves us from our sins. Beautiful story. So Abraham had faith in God. And Paul calls all of us to have faith like Abraham. See those footsteps of faith? Those are the footsteps of Got to walk in those footsteps. Follow Abraham's footsteps of faith. That's what Paul is calling us to do in this passage. 
So let's look more closely now at this passage and say, okay, so what exactly is faith? What did it mean to keep trusting? What, what did it mean for him to walk in those footsteps of faith? What does it mean to have faith? Let's read those verses again, and I want you to notice something. Notice how many times Paul refers to God's promise, either by quoting it or by mentioning the word promise. Look at verse 18. In hope Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. That's a direct quote from Genesis chapter 15. What happened was God had pointed Abraham in the the night sky, look at all the stars, Abraham. See all the stars? So shall your offspring be. That's how many children you're going to have, Abraham. So shall your offspring be. So God promised Abraham descendants, offspring, and Abraham's faith focused on that promise, a direct quote from the book of Genesis chapter 15. Then verse 19, he did not weaken in faith. He he kept trusting that promise when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So even though human circumstances made God's promise look impossible, he kept trusting God's promise. Kept trusting. Kept trusting. He did not weaken in faith. So notice this focus on God's promise. Then verses 20 and 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. There it is again. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that what God was able, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. There it is. So Paul wants us to understand here a crucial aspect of Abraham's faith, which is that it focused on trusting God's promise. God had promised Abraham a son. And for Abraham to have faith meant that he trusted God's promise. And God fulfilled that promise to Abraham. Now, this raises a crucial question about faith. Abraham was a sinful man. Before Genesis 12, we read later in Exodus Leviticus Numbers, Abraham was a, an idol worshiper. He's worshiping false gods. And we read, even after he started trusting God, we read about him lying. So Abraham was not a perfect man. He's just like us. He was a sinful person. So how can God bring in these amazing promises and fulfill these promises to him when he's a sinful man? Because God must punish sin. God is perfectly just. He has to punish every sin. So how is it possible for God, instead of punishing Abraham, to give Abraham such amazing promises and fulfill such amazing promises to him, The answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. One of my favorite verses. Look at what Paul writes. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through him, through Jesus Christ, that we utter our amen, we believe, to God for his glory. So all the promises of God 
find their yes in Jesus Christ alone. The only reason God could fulfill this promise to Abraham and hundreds of other promises he'd made to Abraham was because of Jesus. In the future, Jesus would willingly go to the cross and be punished for all of Abraham's sins. God does punish all sins, either in Jesus or the person being punished by God forever, but because Abraham trusted God, trusted God's promises, including his promise of forgiveness, all of his sins would be punished in Jesus, which is why God could not punish Abraham, but bring these amazing promises to him and fulfill these amazing promises to him. And the same is true with us. The only reason God can make amazing promises to us and fulfill his promises to us is because of Jesus. Because in the past, 2,000 years ago, Jesus willingly was punished for all the sins of all who will trust him as Savior, as Lord, as all-satisfying treasure. And so the reason that God doesn't punish you, but makes you amazing promises and fulfills his amazing promises is because you're trusting Jesus Christ. The only reason is because of Jesus, which is why Paul says, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So here's a definition of faith that I've found helpful over the years. Faith means trusting all that God promises to be for us in Christ. Those last two words are so crucial. So faith means trusting all that God promises to be to us in Christ. So what this means is that biblical faith must trust Christ and must focus on God's promises. Do you see that? Promises. Promises are absolutely essential to our faith. If you tell Jesus, I trust you, but you have no promises in mind, that trust really doesn't mean anything. Trust him for what? For there to be genuine, heartfelt faith, there has to be promises. Promises. Here's how Charles Spurgeon put it. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century pastor in London. He said, Faith without a promise would be a foot without ground to stand upon. How can there be faith without a promise? The answer is, there can't. Faith must have a promise, just like a foot must have ground to stand upon. Here's how another old-time pastor, Thomas Watson, put it. Faith lives in a promise like fish live in water. Okay? Fish have to have water, right? And faith has to have a promise. And the good news is God has given us promises. We can see that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. This is a beautiful verse. I'd encourage you to memorize it. Faith must have a promise. Where do we get promises? God has given them to us. 2 Peter 1, verse 4. God has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, to become a partaker of the divine nature doesn't mean we become God. 
It means that we partake of, we experience, we receive the experience of God's very presence, his glory, his love, his beauty, his majesty. We can know the very presence of God. So to help us escape from sin's corruption, so we can experience God's very presence, God has given us his promises. Promises. God's given them to us. Okay, so we're asking, what does it mean to have faith? What is faith? And what we've seen is that faith means trusting all that God promises to be to us in Christ. Okay, so God's given us these promises. Where do we find them? Where do we find God's promises? The answer is in the Bible, right? I hope you already knew what that answer was. It's in the Bible. The Bible is full of God's promises. But the problem is, many Christians don't learn God's promises. Some of us probably just know a couple of God's promises. And so what ends up happening is that for many Christians, faith just means something like thinking, oh, it'll work out, it'll be fine. But what do those statements even mean? Those aren't actual promises taken right from the Bible. And they are way too vague and ambiguous. What does it even mean to say it'll all be all right? What does, that, like, what does that mean? What we need are God's actual promises from the Bible, like chapter and verse, black and white, word by word. That's what we need, God's actual promises in the Bible. God's promises in the Bible are like a, a, a strong sword of steel, okay, which you can use to like destroy Satan's lies and temptations that come your way or, or like unbelief, a strong sword of steel. That's what God's actual written promises are. But if instead of trusting God's actual promises in the Bible, we're just trusting something like everything will be all right or it'll all work out, then instead of a strong sword of steel, we just got like a little wimpy rubber dagger you know, flop, 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 okay? That battle's not going to be pretty. You need the strong sword of steel. So we need to open up God's word and learn God's promises, his actual promises, which he's written in the Bible. I once heard someone say that in the Bible, there's a promise for every problem. There's a promise for every problem. So how many promises do you know? How many do you know? Not just know them, well, it's something like this, or, you know, everything's going to be okay. Or no, no, no. Quote them, find them, read them, know them. How many of God's actual promises do you know? Grace Church, let's learn God's promises. Now, as we're studying God's promises, and again, that's because we want the strong sword of steel, not just a little wimpy rubber dagger, it's important that we study them carefully and not jump to wrong conclusions about what they mean. Because if you jump to wrong conclusions about what a promise means, you could end up being terribly disappointed. And that happens too often. Let me give you one example from Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 3. Here's what we read there. Beautiful promises. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, 
who heals all your diseases. Focus on that last one. He heals all your diseases. There are people who love Jesus who think that what that promise means is that it's always God's will to heal every sickness now in this life. Some of you might believe that. That may be your background. We love you. We're glad you're here. And this is an area where people who love Jesus can agree to disagree, but I don't want you to be disappointed. And so I'd like to persuade you this morning that that's not what that verse means. And just think about it for a moment. There's lots in the Bible about God supernaturally healing people, right? We, I hope we all believe that God can supernaturally, instantly heal people when we pray for them. That's why we are committed to praying for whoever's sick here at Grace Church. We will pray for you. And we've seen God do some amazing things. But that's not all we read in the Bible. It's not always God's will to heal everybody in this life. Think about Paul in Galatians 4. We read that he had eye trouble, some kind of ongoing chronic eye disease that God hadn't healed him from. Paul mentions that Timothy had some kind of stomach trouble. Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus. You can read about that in the book of 2 Timothy. And not only that, we're all going to die, right? From some disease, right? That's why people die. Something goes wrong. We die. And so I don't think that the Bible, when you take all the Bible, encourages us to think that what this promise means is that it's always God's will to heal now in this life. So what does this promise mean? This promise is very important. We should cling to this promise. I would encourage you to consider that what this promise means is that it is always God's will to heal, either in this life, through doctors, or this life supernaturally, it's always God's will to heal either in this life or in the life to come. There will be no more death in heaven, no more sickness in heaven, completely sickness-free. So I just want to illustrate with Psalm 103, verse 3, that we need to be careful because if you believe that it's always God's will to heal, that he's promising to always heal you of your disease in this life, if you believe that, and if, it, if you're a Paul with an eye difficulty or a Timothy with an ongoing stomach trouble, you'll be disappointed and you'll struggle because you're misunderstanding the promise. Does that make sense? So learn God's promises. Study God's promises. Trust God's promises. We need to open up our Bibles and learn the promises of God. Now let me give you an illustration. Imagine, imagine that a billionaire... A with a B, a billionaire, walked up to you and said, I have decided that I want to display my generosity through you for the rest of your life. I want people to look at you and say, wow, that billionaire is generous. And so here's a little book I've written, and I've, I've written down all these things I'm promising to do for you for the rest of your life. Here's a little book full of all the things I'm promising to do for you to demonstrate my generosity for the rest of your life. Here you go. Here's this book. So, would you open that book? Would you, would you read some of that book? Would you learn some of the promises? Would you learn all the promises? God has infinitely more resources than any billionaire. And that's an understatement. Infinitely more resources than a billionaire. And God, in his mercy through Jesus, 
has said, I'm going to display my mercy and grace through you and you and you and you, everyone who trusts the name of Jesus. I'm going to display my beautiful, glorious grace and mercy through you. And in this book, I've written all the things I'm promising to do for you to display that grace and that mercy and that love. So Grace Church, open the book. Learn what he's promised to do and trust what he's promised to do. Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries to inland China. I use lots of Hudson Taylor illustrations because he's amazing. God used him in the 1800s to raise up 1,000 missionaries, he himself and, and others, and through their ministry, over 250,000 Chinese men and women, children, came to faith in Jesus. And Hudson Taylor lived on God's promises. Not just vague summaries, but chapter and verse. Let me give you some illustrations. As they were on their first trip to China on the boat, they faced a storm. There was howling winds blowing them towards these dangerous rocks. The captain said, it's hopeless. Get ready to, you know, to die. And Hudson Taylor went down into his cabin, and here's what he wrote happened while he was in his cabin. This passage was brought into my mind. Quote, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. That's from Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. Chapter and verse, word for word, strong sword of steel. Okay? And very earnestly, I pleaded the promise in submission to his will. I don't know how you're going to deliver me, Lord, but you are going to deliver. Deliverance is coming. Deliver me as you promised. And the wind stopped, and the boat took them all the way to China. Now, as they were coming very close to China, seeing it off in the distance, here's what Hudson Taylor wrote about what he thought and felt as he considered stepping into a brand new country he'd never been to before. Here's what he said. What peculiar feelings arise at the prospect of soon landing in an unknown country in the midst of strangers. Anybody relate to that? Okay, all as expats. What peculiar feelings arise at the prospect of soon landing in an unknown country in the midst of strangers, a country now to be my home and sphere of labor. Quote, lo, I am with you always, end quote. That's from Matthew 28, verse 20, chapter and verse, word for word. Then he wrote, sweet promises. I have nothing to fear with Jesus on my side. Isn't that amazing? He did face times of loneliness, times of uncertainty, times of doubt. But listen to what he shared with a, a friend in a letter. He said, I've had times of struggle here in China, but in the last few days, I have enjoyed such a sweet sense of God's love and such a personal application of some of the promises as though they were written directly to me that the oil of joy has indeed been given me for mourning. Hudson Taylor lived on God's promises, 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 promises. He knew God's promises. He quoted God's promises. 
He wrote God's promises. He trusted God's promises. One more example. They had a season when they were ministering when nobody was responding to their preaching. This preach, 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 no response. Here's what he wrote in his journal. We see no fruit at present, but I remember his faithful promise. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves, his harvest with him. It's from Psalm 126, five through six. So do you see Hudson Taylor was walking in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. He knew God's promises. He meditated on God's promises. He memorized God's promises. He trusted God's promises. No rubber daggers for Hudson Taylor. A strong sword of steel. Now, one last question. How do we trust God's promises? It's not easy. And you've all tried it, and you know it's not easy. So let me give you one example. Remember, Paul talks about how it's a fight of faith. We are wrestling, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers. It's, it's war to live by faith in God's promises. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you hear about possible redundancies at your workplace, and you Feel your heart filling with fear. Rumors of redundancies, your heart starts filling with fear. Fear always shows that our faith is weak. Always. Whenever we're fearful, our faith is weak. So what can you do? Let me give you three steps that I have found very helpful. First, pray and ask God to use his word to strengthen your faith. Remember in Mark chapter 9, a man brought his demonized son to Jesus. Demons were horribly afflicting his little boy. And the man was honest with Jesus. And he said, I believe, help my unbelief. He's asking Jesus, help my unbelief. And Jesus did. Strengthened his faith and freed his son from the demonic oppression. Let's follow his example. That's Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Don't think you can strengthen your faith by yourself. It's not a matter of just you disciplining yourself enough or trying to be positive enough to, to do that. No, no, you need the help of Jesus, and he will always help you. When you say, I'm so weak, look at how fearful I am, look at how lonely or depressed or discouraged I am, help me. He will always move towards you and always, always, always use his word to strengthen your faith. He loves to do that. So that's the first step. Ask for Jesus' help. Then second, find a promise that applies to your situation. Okay, redundancy is possible, but you won't find any promise in the Bible that says you'll never lose your job. No promise that says that. Okay? But there is a promise for every problem. And... One promise that I would encourage you to use in that kind of a scenario is Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, where Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
Some people think that what it means to have faith, if you hear about redundancies, or what it means to have faith is, is just, I'm going to be positive. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to lose my job. I'm trusting. I'm not going to lose my job. I'm trusting. But see, that's not biblical faith. Where is that in the Bible? Does God promise that you'll never lose your job? He doesn't promise that. But if you think that's what God promises, then you may be disappointed. And the problem isn't that God hasn't kept his promises, that we've misunderstood what he's promising. So faith isn't all about being positive. Faith is about being biblical, trusting God's promises. And this promise is beautiful. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So you're thinking there may be redundancies here. Okay, Lord, I may lose my job. I may not. I'm not sure what your will is, but one thing is absolutely certain. You will supply all my needs and all my family's needs. Full need supply is coming. No matter what the Lord has in mind, that promise directly deals with this kind of a situation. So the second step is to find a promise that applies to your situation. Now, where do you find promises? If you're wondering, text your home group leader, ask them, or your home group WhatsApp group. Um, send an email to Grace Church, mail at gracechurchabbydabby.com. I need a promise for this. Help me. We'll, we'll send you a couple. Talk to your friends. Look at your own Bible study notes. I hope that maybe you'll have a, a folder in your computer or something in your phone where you'll start listing promises as you study them, as you come upon them. That's where you find promises. But find a promise that applies to your situation. And then third, crucial third step. Pray over that promise until your faith is strengthened. Okay, you're fearful. You read Philippians 4.19. You're not sure you believe it. If you believed it, you wouldn't be fearful, right? Okay, so there you are. Open up the Bible. I would encourage you, if you've got it memorized, okay, great. But, but if not, as soon as you can, open up your Bible and see it, chapter and verse, in black and white, right before you. Because you want the strong sword of steel, right? So open up the Bible and read it. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So if you're, if you're walking in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham, you're trusting his promise, like Philippians 4.19, and you're asking God, strengthen my faith. So read over that verse slowly. Meditate on that verse deeply. Talk to God about that promise. Father, you've, you've promised to supply my every need and the need of my family, and you say you will do this according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You have riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So I have absolutely nothing to worry about, but I, I'm worried, Father. Help me. Strengthen me. I know I have no reason to fear here. You are in complete control, and you, the sovereign creator God of the universe, have promised to provide every need. And so you keep meditating on that promise, and praying over that promise, and preaching that promise to yourself, and meditating on that promise some more, and preaching that promise to yourself some more, and praying over that promise some more, and as you do, God will use that promise to strengthen your faith. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Strong sword of steel. 
So you pray over the promise. You meditate on the promise. You preach to yourself the promise, and God will strengthen your faith. Your fear will lessen, and your peace and your joy and your hope will rise, and you'll be right there with Abraham, walking in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. So Grace Church, what does faith mean? Faith means trusting all that God promises to be for us in Christ. You're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your treasure. All of God's promises are yes to you, all of them. Faith means trusting all that God promises to be for us in Christ. And so to live by faith, we need to ask God to use his word to strengthen our faith, find a promise that applies to your situation, and then pray over that promise until your faith is strengthened. And as we do that, moment after moment, day after day, you will be assured of your forgiveness and your salvation. You'll be filled with joy and peace in Christ. You will grow in love for others. You'll have power over sin. You'll be receiving and drinking the living water of Jesus. That will happen as we are living by faith, as we're trusting all that God promises to be to us in Christ Jesus. So Grace Church, see, see, see the beach there? See those footsteps? See the, see the steps of faith that Abraham walked in? Let's walk in those steps. Let's trust all that God promises to be to us in Christ Jesus. Let's stand together. I'll pray. What a glorious God you are. That you with such love and such cost would send your son to be punished in our place so that we could be forgiven, changed, filled, and you could give us all these promises, and that you will keep every promise you've ever made. We worship you. We love you. Lord, strengthen our faith. Strengthen us to trust you. Lord, bring people to faith right now who've never put their trust in Christ, we pray. Bring glory to your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.